Welcome to What Messes With Your Head, the podcast where we try to dismantle stigma in students' lives by deep diving into student life and experiences, asking questions that we might not normally ask about topics that might not normally come up in day-to-day conversation. I'm Steph, and my co-host John and I both study at the University of Adelaide. Today, we're chatting about study stress, what the causes might be, what might stop us from asking people for help, and what resources are available to us. Our chat also dives into talking a bit about family, different cultures, and how our attitude towards asking for help can change the more life experience we've had. Because we get so deep into some pretty varied topics, we invited Asira on the show as well. She's studying a Bachelor of Laws as an international student here at the uni, and we were super keen to have her on to give us a bit more insight into her world. Now, John and I are both students and employees of the University of Adelaide, so this podcast is produced by the university. However, all opinions on the show, either from guests or ourselves, are our own and do not reflect those of the university. Now let's have a listen to Ali Buckskin's Welcome to Country, then we'll get into today's episode. For over 60,000 years, this always was and always will be Ghana country. This land was never ceded. I walk proudly in the footsteps left by my ancestors, the Ghana, Narunga and Warungu people, the traditional owners of the lands that I'm speaking on today. I honour and respect my elders past, present and those that are emerging. I'm connected to these land, skies and waters through those who came before me and I will continue the guardianship of this country for those who come after me. I pay respect to all Aboriginal people from all nations listening today and the cultural authority that you bring from your country. I acknowledge my Papa Buckskin and on behalf of him and all the Ghana people, I welcome you here today. Yakanantalia Yungunantalia, Nainari Ali Katanya Buckskin, Naitangi Wilta Ghana Naranga Nanki, Marawachanga Ghana Mina, Naimani Napudni Ghana Yatana Wangandi, Mani Pudni Natalia. Hey, you're listening to What Messes With Your Head, a podcast about breaking stigmas and just having general chats about life and what we think needs to be talked about a little bit more. Hey, welcome to the What Messes With Your Head podcast. I'm here with uh, my co-host, Steph, and we've got a special guest here today, Asira. Hello. That's Asira. <laughs> I'm Asira. <laughs> and my name is John. Um, today, we're looking at study stress and kind of the stigmas about uh, looking for help, getting help with study stress. Uh, people are probably starting to get stressed if they're not already. To start us off, let's just keep it kind of broad and talk about asking for help. I don't know about you guys, I find that depending on how long you've been at uni, you may be more or less reluctant to ask for help. Um, I'm sure there's a whole lot of other factors there. How do you guys find with your own studies? We're all students here, right? hope so, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One of us is lying if we're not. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah, I guess like it's been three years now that I'm in uni. I think seeking for help, study help in terms of like understanding content and meeting with lecturers hasn't been such a challenge anymore in my first year that definitely was because you know as an international student you're not really sure how to approach or not like just as a student in general entering university you don't know how to approach such an authoritative figure but I think as I've moved on and three years down the road it's like you know just as simple as emailing your lecturers and you don't really feel as terrified anymore but 
Yeah, I think like one of the barriers to seeking steady support, I guess, is the shame of looking for help sometimes. Um, I understand that in certain cultures, especially um, in my culture, so I grew up in Malaysia, there's like a huge like practice of competition between your peers when it comes to studies. Mm. And oftentimes you feel like, oh, if I seek for help in my studies, that kind of means that like I'm doing not as good as my peers are. Like, oh, if they can understand a topic much more faster than I am, why am I not in the same boat as they are, you know? Mm. Like, why do I have to go and ask for help? And it just kind of makes you feel a little bit ashamed, especially if your friends don't feel the same way, especially if they're way ahead of you. And you're like, oh, I'm the only one here who Mm. does not understand this thing that we're learning. So it kind of has that element of, I guess, feeling a bit embarrassed and trying to unlearn that now in university not is not as easy but you know things like that takes time and I think you're just gonna have to wait it out and start talking to other people who will hopefully feel the same way yeah well did you find that broadly speaking that when you were in a class with other non-international students so western students that you felt like they didn't have as much of that sort of pressure like just from your own perception I'm aware that that different people Mm -hmm. feel different things and might have covered things up. But, like, from your perspective, did you feel like you were more in that level of pressure to to achieve a certain level? Yeah, I think definitely, especially um, as an international student. I feel personally that I have huge um, pressures from my family because they obviously support my education and, like, I am sent here to study, essentially, Mm. And, like, if I don't do well, it's, like, you know, I feel I'm not doing them any justice, especially the amount of money that they're spending. Mm. Yep. It's very expensive tuition. Um, so, yeah, and I think just feeling pressured to do really well because I'm scared of failing because in the event that you do fail and you have to take another semester, that's going to cost you a lot more money because, you know, semester of subjects and then another semester of living here. Mm. Yep. Currency exchanges are crazy um, mm. yeah. depending on where you live. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's financial pressure is definitely one of the things that kind of pressures me to do really well as compared to local students, I guess. That's like one mm. of the big factors, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay, just as an aside, there's not a whole lot of data about whether international students have a harder time asking for help specifically, but there is a bit of information about the general mental health of international students. And so most recently, as you can probably imagine with the pandemic and everything, there has been an increase in poor mental health among international students, with some Australian research even saying that around 93% of international students were struggling with their mental health, which is just a huge number. There's also a fair bit of research confirming what we've said here, that folks from different cultures may have different attitudes towards therapy or other mental health services, so are less likely to access those services and also less likely to attend as many sessions as they might need. It's just really important to keep all that stuff in mind and let's go back to that conversation. Uh, but out of interest, Asira, so uh, what are you studying at the moment? I'm studying law. Yep. Yep. Um, is that something that you chose yourself or is that something that kind of was presented to you as a mm-hmm. what you should maybe do? That's a really good question. Um, it's sort of 50-50 for me. I think one might have influenced the other, but 
there's this thing again in like Asian culture and I've had conversation with a lot of my Asian friends from other um, Asian countries as well um, there are certain like degrees or certain professions where it's much more acceptable or yep. much more celebrated yep. Yep. so yeah like medicine you know your typical engineering law all those stuffs are like the ones where your Asian parents are like, okay, yes, definitely go for it. Um, yeah. Architecture, maybe, you know? <laughs> maybe, but, yeah. Yeah, um, so personally for me, I wanted to, I'm more of a creative person. Yep. I wanted to get into journalism or fashion school. Yep. But obviously, as I've stated, that's probably not something that your parents expect from you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I guess as I was nearing the end of my high school, I got very into politics because right. we had like a major election in Malaysia. So that kind of made me got interest in like social justice and like legal issues. Mm. So in a sense, there's that 50-50 there, you yep. know, like I was sort of influenced by that. So I guess my parents are relieved that I end yeah. up, <laughs> that I end up um, yep. enjoying that and taking law. But yeah, there's definitely a certain pressure to do certain yeah. degrees. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I have a friend who's from Vietnam and I remember years ago I was talking to her about this similar kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And obviously, so I've been born in Australia where we have kind of the more Western individualistic kind of mindset at the moment where mm. it's like, you know, follow your passion. That's the ultimate thing you can do. Yeah. Um, whether that's right or wrong, I guess we'll find out in 20 years' time. <laughs> um, but <laughs> and I was talking to her and, you know, she was kind of talking about how she had a lot of her family expecting her to go into, I think it was pharmaceutical right. from memory. Um, and she, like, she was struggling with it. And me being young and kind of a little naive about the cultural differences was like, no, nah, like, don't worry about what your parents want. <laughs> Just do, you know, what's right for you kind of thing. And it's like only years later I kind of have learned a bit more about kind of cultural differences and stuff mm. and realize okay how it's not just you know her parents are being a bit stubborn it's like often there's actual like financial reasons you yeah. know family needs support back home Definitely. all this other kind of stuff and um, I guess that comes with a lot more of their kind of communal mindset and kind of family oriented mm. kind of culture as well which mm. people don't often see cross-culturally yeah so. yeah I um interesting that you talk about that because sometimes when I'm speaking to like my f- local friends they're all very like oh you know like it's not too late for you to just get like a double degree do like a journalism and a law degree and I'm like no you know it's like there's money into that which isn't mm-hmm. something that you could just approach your parents and be like hey yeah. can you like lend me a little bit more money so like I could do this so yeah. yeah and definitely like financial expectations I guess to help and give back to your family is a huge thing within culture especially if you're like the eldest of the family I think that's right much more expected of you yeah. yeah are you the eldest no i'm the youngest thankfully okay. <laughs> oh, so you only get a little bit of the pressure then. I get a, yeah a little bit <laughs> just talking about financial i just want to make a little side note to listeners who may not be aware um but domestic students can you know obviously you have hex you have help loans and that sort of thing um but you as an international student that means that you have to pay all of your tuition fees up front, right? And you yeah. don't get any discounts towards those tuition fees at um, all, do you? I think it depends. Some people do get scholarships. Mm. And um, my sister used to study here, so I got the like alumni discount. Mm. So that's that's great. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise you're going to have to pay up front yeah. every semester full amount. It's yeah. so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's that's so much pressure as well if your parents it or is. your family are paying that amount. Yeah. 
Uh, you don't want to yeah, like, it's... you don't want to just like dilly dally around and yeah, and just, throw the money you know, away. Just do the double degree. Let's <laughs> 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 see what you mean. Just do it, yeah. Yeah, it's not just do it, yeah. Let's A lot goes into it. The amount, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess you were talking about asking for help. Then, do you feel that there is? so much financial pressure and stuff like that do you find now that that motivates you more to ask for help or is there still kind of a shame aspect with that hmm. wow and i really thought of that but um that's right this is like dr phil by the way yeah, I, hope, <laughs> I hope you're ready for this <laughs> ah, okay mostly maybe not financial because i personally like don't know where to start when it comes to seeking for help especially like mental support um, I've heard about counseling and I know that it's free, but then you always have this like little voice inside of your head, like, okay, what if counseling doesn't work and you're mm. being referred to a therapist? And that's clearly a lot of money yeah. that goes into it. So yeah, I think financial aspect, that is probably it. Yeah. That's, mm. that's a good point as well. Cause a lot of the kind of just going to your GP and like Medicare mm. and stuff like that is not necessarily open to, uh, people who've traveled here, is it? No, just some stuff, isn't there? That's not, it's not your normal Medicare. It's like, and we have overseas. like a, yeah, the yeah. overseas health cover mm. okay. thing. Yeah. yeah. But is that as good though? You still have to pay a gap fee depending on where you're going. Right. Mm. Yeah. I know like um, the uni GP, I think I have to pay about like $14 gap fee, which can be a lot. That's like a meal. Yeah. Really. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I don't know if, you seek like a therapist how much of a difference there might be or maybe there wouldn't be any but mm. I haven't tried it yeah 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 that's the main one because disability services can sort of help with diagnosed mental health conditions and that sort right. of thing um, international student support is a whole support system and student care is another one that can probably give support um, but again that's a similar sort of one to international student support as well, of just kind of yeah. more broad speaking. But yeah. the thing that I would probably say is that counselling are super aware of international students and right. and the need for things to be a bit cheaper. So if you were really struggling and you also didn't have the money to go to like a full fee paid psychologist, like it's worth having a conversation with counselling about that as well because there were no resources to go to for people who don't have the the money to pay for that mm. i tend to find that yeah you know uni services are very aware of international students and and needing to pay for things yeah or good. needing to avoid paying for things yeah. So, yeah yeah just a side note about getting support as an international student uh in june 2020 there was a huge report done about the health and safety of international students in australia and it was very clearly identified that international students often don't get the support they needed because they didn't know where to go or who to ask so in terms of the university of adelaide specifically if you're an international student then international student support or iss is generally the best starting point if you need any kind of support from academic help to mental health support, financial help, or even just finding support services that are a good fit for you outside of ISS. We'll put links to all their contact info in the show notes. But aside from them, if you need any kind of support or you're struggling, then most university staff should be able to point you in the right direction. 
So if you have a tutor or lecturer who you're comfortable with talking to, then they should also be able to help you out and point you in the right direction of some more professional services that can help you out. All right, back to the conversation. I'm learning a lot from you guys from this one. (laughs) I didn't know that. Okay. Well, that's good. Hopefully this is a two-way, three-way learning discussion. That's what we hope these things are. (laughs) And then for our listeners as well, which is obviously a million people. So (laughs) that's good. Um, All right. How about you, Steph, like asking for help? What's been your experience? Very patchy. (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) Um, I started a degree and then didn't really know how to ask for help while I was doing it. So I started a nursing degree Mm -hmm. when I was straight out of high school. Um, kind of struggling with it towards the end of it and kind of vaguely asked for help from some of my course coordinators and things like that. But honestly, the advice that I got from them was just stick with it. <laughs> you know, you're so close to the end. You'll be uh, fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And obviously that's not super helpful. Mm. Um, didn't go to like, didn't get any resources or anything like that. Um, and so I just kind of like dropped out of that degree and failed quite spectacularly so elegantly yeah (laughs) elegant fail (laughs) um so I also at that point in my life um was quite quiet and introverted didn't really reach out to anyone didn't really have many friends or anything like that who I could really ask for help or Mm. ask you know hey do you know if there's a resource around this sort of thing or um even just uni help you know like asking for help with assignments and that sort of thing. I didn't know what resources there were. And again, asked some course coordinators and basically all I got was just keep doing what you're doing type of thing. Yep. I know we were talking a bit on another episode which hasn't come out yet but will come out eventually about you know how being neurodivergent pertains mm. to a lot of that stuff as well. And so we're discussing how... So my partner has ADHD, which she's kind of discovered herself because as probably anyone with ADHD out there knows... Um, Society is only just learning what it actually is, <laughs> slowly figuring it out. Um, it's not just for young boys <laughs> misbehaving kind of thing. There's a whole lot of people with it. Um, but so that that whole kind of attitude of, oh, just stick with it kind of thing, yeah. it's kind of good intentions, but it's kind of missing what the actual problem is here as well. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, at that point, yeah, undiagnosed ADHD, um, very severe like depression, that sort of thing. So even just asking for help from a course coordinator at that point was like a massive step for me. Yeah, right. yeah. And then I got that and I just, it felt like 20,000 steps back, you know. Um, so, and that is also like speaks to the the brain space that I was in at that point in time that maybe if I was, a, if I didn't leave it as long or um, didn't leave it till I was quite that bad, then maybe I would have been more receptive to mm-hmm. getting some more help. But it's kind of like... Yeah, it's easy to say that in hindsight, though. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's also very interesting that you mentioned um, about, like, just sticking with it and seeing where you go. I remember back in high school, I was struggling really terribly with, like, my science and maths classes. And I was considering, like, dropping them out. But all of my teachers were like, oh, you know, like, you were an exceptional student this year. Like, you're going to be fine. Just stick with it. And I think Mm -hmm. that kind of mentality stuck with me now where Mm -hmm. I'm sort of thinking like, oh, like, you know, it's probably not that bad yet. So why should I go out there and seek for help, you know? So, like, maybe I should just stick with it and see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, like, each person's situation is different. Mm. And, like, that advice does work probably for a lot of people in a lot of situations. Yeah. Um, but I think, as we're discovering, there's also a lot of people who 
have other things going on who just had no idea. Mm-hmm. Generally, if you find, you know, you keep telling yourself, just stick with it or something like that, and it's not working, and then you start feeling really bad about yourself, sometimes that's when it's worth asking questions yeah. about if there's anything else going on, mm. doing a little bit of exploration there. Mm. And because that, that actually comes back to the shame thing we're talking about, is that for a lot of people that brings shame because they go, I've asked for help and I've been giving given advice and I just can't do it. And, yeah. you know, what the teacher says or what the lecturer says is the ultimate truth, so why can't I do that? And it's like, well, that's the ultimate truth for some people. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Think so. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it can kind of like feed into itself. You already asked for help and you, the help that you got isn't working for you, which honestly could just be that they weren't aware of the whole situation and you weren't aware of the whole situation yeah. even. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you just get the wrong help for your situation. Mm. Yeah. So I actually tutor at another tertiary institution at the moment, just doing one class at the moment. But it's interesting to get the other side of it as mm. well. And I can see as being a tutor, like I want my students to make me aware of if they're having trouble because if if they're uh, handing an assignment and it's like hardly done, I don't know any of the backstory to why that is. And not that like you can let every case off and give every case an extension or whatever mm. but especially with uh, like uh, like access plans and things like that if if a student has good reason to kind of need extensions or if they actually have an access plan that's one of the best things they can do because they kind of it gives you as the teacher that context mm. um, and not not just gives you the context but then it's actually just from a almost like a university rule point it gives me as the tutor leverage to say this student could actually kind of get this extension and then if I am ever questioned about that well it's like they've got the official access plan they've got all that paperwork you Mm. know it's kind of it's protecting everyone along that chain okay so we talk a little bit about access plans here but just for some clarity the University of Adelaide has a system where you register with disability support have a chat with an advisor and then get an access plan put in place Now, to register with disability support, you can have any medical condition that might impact your study. That's from a long-term physical disability to ongoing mental health conditions like depression or anxiety to learning difficulties like dyslexia or ADHD. Or even if you break an arm and can't use your writing hand for a couple of months, you can register with disability for that as well. It's literally just a way to even the playing field. So if you have anything affecting you that makes study more difficult, then the access plan is basically just so that you can get some adjustments put in place that try and make up for those difficulties that you might be facing. Once you chat with an advisor, the access plan they give you means that you can get whatever time or resources you were granted in that plan without having to disclose the reason why. That looks like, for example, if the access plan allows you an automatic extension of a week, then you just need to email a course coordinator or lecturer with the access plan attached ask for the extra time and as long as it's within the specific details of your access plan then you should be granted that time without you having to explain any reasoning why or anything like that it's just kind of an acknowledgement that you have been through disability support and you have formally gotten these conditions all right back to the conversation but even for students without access plans um I've had students who are like in car crashes and things like that. And it's like, please let me know about that because then I, <laughs> I know that like, yeah, to keep an eye on how you're doing and mm. just check in with you kind of thing. Mm. 
doesn't mean you're going to get HDs by default, but, you know. Yeah. That's the whole thing, right? It's not necessarily straight up giving them really good grades. It's just giving students the whatever accommodations that they need for their situations that's reasonable. Yep. And, and having the time and, uh, I guess, information or knowledge to be able to, to do that for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally, totally. Um, one of the other things we wanted to talk about is uh, self -perce self perceived fl failure. It would help if I could actually say it. Hey, Steph, <laughs> could you say this word for me? <laughs> Uh, Self-perceived failure. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're very welcome. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we can get subtitles on the show. <laughs> but so I, we've already touched on this. But aside from actually asking for the help of other people, how how closely do you guys find you identify with your grades? Do you like if you get a bad grade, do you feel really bad as a person, or are you able to separate yourselves from that? Oh, that, that's a really good question. Because last semester was the first time I ever failed like an assignment. And Ooh. that threw me into a loop. Like, yeah. <laughs> I remember, um, it's also like a huge thing that I'm admitting it because at the time I wouldn't have admitted that because mm. you feel very shameful of it, right? Mm. But Well, number one, thank you very much for sharing that. Number two, you've heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you've heard it here first. Asira has failed a lot of assignments. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that was the first time I ever failed and I felt very terrible about it. I remember just crying. And my tutor coming up to me and being like, hey, how are you feeling about this? Which did not help. That just like made the waterworks yeah. came in even worse. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think I've been very lucky to have... Uh, my tutor was very nice and she was like very motivating. And she was just saying like, you know, just keep on trying. Um, and I talked to... I talked to my family as well, which they were very supportive about it. They were like, you know, it's fine. It's your first assignment. Mm. Um, you're... you're going to be able to pick yourself back up which thankfully I did um, so that was great yeah. but yeah I feel like I definitely I as much as I want to say like oh you know I don't really care about my grades I think deep down I really do because of that again pressure and I think it's just something that I'm used to doing ever since I was a kid mm. you know back in primary and secondary school it was always like you're going to have to get A's you get anything less than that um just, you know, be prepared to get nagged yeah. and, you know, getting compared to your friends. So I think to unlearn and to come out of that mentality is a bit hard because mm -hmm. yeah. growing up, you're just always like, okay, my grades defined me. Like, yep. am I a smart person or am I not a smart person? Mm. So, yeah, I'm just trying to get out of that really. But, you know, well, even slowly but surely. What, like you, what you just said about needing to get A's all the time mm. and then going from that to, like, failing an assignment. That is, that would have been so, like such a huge thing to deal with. Yeah. Just like really that is. mindset of needing to get perfect scores and then it's just almost completely the opposite. Mm, yeah. Not in a bad way. Like yeah. just, no. it's just, it happens, you know, yeah. it's life. You're yeah. going to have bad assignments, you know, it's just how it is. Mm -hmm. And then for it to happen in university, on mm. top of that, you're like, ooh, okay, like this makes you feel a bit more worse. Yeah. Mm. Which is interesting to me because honestly I feel like happening in university is more understandable to right. me because uni is so much harder. Mm -hmm. Uni is so yeah. much harder and you have so many other things happening mm -hmm. in life. Like, yeah. yeah, and yeah. the uh, the the exponential curve between like a credit and then a distinction and a high distinction yeah. is ridiculous. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned um, 
that you're able to have a chat with your family about it. Mm -hmm. Because this, like, from my experiences, I have a really good relationship with my family on all sorts of levels. Mm -hmm. But in terms of grades, I tend to be very vague and not right. tell them yeah. what I'm, how I'm doing <laughs> at uni or anything like that. Because right. my first experience with failing a test... I told, like, I did tell my parents at that point, and mm. it was almost the exact opposite reaction to you. Like, they were really mad. Ooh. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. It okay. was a really horrible experience. Damn. Um, okay. And, like, I love them. And, again, great relationship with them on all sorts of other levels. But, like, grades and that sort of thing is just, mm. like, a real sore spot for us. Yeah. Um, and that's a thing that I think I've kind of internalized as well. Yeah. Wow. I think we need to do an episode after this that's like bringing on everyone's parents <laughs> and yeah. going through all these yeah. stories and being like, yeah, what do you have to say about that now? <laughs> like it yeah, pretty much. So we're turning into Jerry Springer now. I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it's great. Actually, I was going to ask, Sarah, um, just for context, um, so you, you went straight out of high school into university? Did you? Um, no. So the way it works in Malaysia is a bit weird. It's a bit different. Um, so um, you finish high school and then depending on what you want to do or where you want to study, you usually go to college or you take like a higher certificate, yep. which is called STPM. I went to college instead. Yep. I did like a one-year program where I um, studied and sit for the Western Australia year 12 exam. Yeah. And then I got into university. So I had like uh, a one-year cool. One year, like yeah. pre-university, basically. Yeah. So, no, year, that's right. No. That's right. I think that's sort of off the table with a lot of Asian parents too. Gap years. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, about you guys, but yeah, that's like. That actually, that's a good question because uh, I guess we've both taken gap years in our own ways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Um, I so like I've done one degree, but to be honest. Within that one degree, uh, sorry, and I'm now doing my second degree, but within that first degree, I swapped three times mm. what I was doing, and I took like a gap semester, I think it was in there, mm. which was it helpful? I don't know. Uh, I think I've personally found the actual life experience outside of uni, working and stuff like that, to be infinitely more yep. <laughs> helpful, mm. especially for like now that I'm back at uni. A lot of the lessons I've learned uh, make a whole lot of what I learn at uni make a lot more sense. Right. And for me personally, care less about grades and stuff like that as yeah. well. So, but yeah, I don't know. How about you, Steph? I, I would agree with that, that life experience outside of uni really has been helpful. Um, I did my first nursing degree straight out of high school and then obviously just like completely forced gap a couple of years, you know. Mm. Um, but in that intermediary period of just like not studying, I did, I spent probably six months not studying or working or doing anything like that mm -hmm. and just kind of trying to get myself out of this like mental health hole um going to like different appointments getting medication that sort of thing right. and then after that I got a job and started working fairly regularly and that really helped because that kind of was the life experience that I needed of just mm -hmm. getting up going somewhere every day having a purpose outside of study because mm -hmm. up until that point my entire purpose was study yeah mm. interact with people who aren't doing anything remotely close to what you're doing. The people who are 40 with two kids. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just a really different experience. And mm. all of a sudden you realise there's so many people with so many different experiences who have made life work, yeah. you know, and you just don't need to necessarily do either incredible at study or study at all yeah. in order to have a, a life that's fulfilling for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. 
And I, I think in my experience, uh, this actually comes back to that whole folly passion thing, but so I'm now doing a degree, I'm studying sonic arts here at Adelaide University, which is kind of music, electronic music, that kind of thing. Mm. But I've been doing music, even like professionally before I came here mm. um, and non-professionally for like over a decade. <laughs> so yeah. um, I think that uh, that life experience and just kind of building that interest myself now that I'm here at uni, I am finding myself asking a lot more questions because I'm actually genuinely interested. Mm. I genuinely want to improve my craft and get better at it because I feel like I have reason to. And then, yeah, I, I guess for me that helps combat a lot of the stress as well. So like talking about grades, this is maybe a personality thing, but I think as well I'm now more interested in like what can I actually learn from this degree rather than can I get top grades. Yeah. Mm. And funnily enough, that is helping me get better grades than I got <laughs> through yeah. my first degree. Mm. So. Okay, we did look into this and there's not a whole lot of research done on whether students older than 25 actually get better grades than younger students, but there was one really specific study done about engineering degrees and it looks like the older students did generally get slightly higher grades than the younger ones. It's very specific, could be insignificant, but diving into a couple of forums and places where people have asked very similar questions to what we were talking about, the general response is similar to the discussion that John and I were having in this episode. Even though there's no clear evidence that students older than 25 actually get better grades, the attitude towards study and what students get out of it tends to be much more positive. Older students tend to say they're more organised, more interested and more invested in their study and teaching staff tend to notice this as well. Like John mentioned, the students who aren't necessarily straight out of high school are the ones who are more likely to ask questions in class and just be a bit more engaged in general. Okay, back to the conversation. Do you think that kind of helps though, knowing that you've already got like one degree in your pocket? Yeah. So you don't have to feel pressured with your second degree. That is true. So my like, just brief my story, uh, my first degree was in IT and multimedia. So I was already kind of getting more to the kind of creative, less financially stable areas, let's Mm. say. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I had kind of a solid IT background and I was fortunate that like I got some work experience early on working at schools and stuff Mm. and and so I've worked in a number of IT places since which are you know quite stable jobs and quite well paying so I guess in the back of my mind I do know I could go back to that Uh, having said that though uh, after doing it a number of times I actually don't know whether it would be mentally healthy for me to go back to that personally I've tried it a number of times and while a lot of the work environments have been very good it just yeah didn't quite fulfill me I guess in a way that I needed. Um, not to sound too privileged there, but I think there is a certain amount of like reason you need to be doing what you're doing if it's going to be a long-term career. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be about yourself. You know, uh, we're talking about supporting your family. Like, that's often a very good reason. <laughs> For sure. And, and I know it's not, that's not the only reason you're doing it either. So, but yeah, I think I found if I'm just doing it just for the pay packet, then I kind of I can't do it long term personally. Mm. So, yeah, that's an interesting point. It's because there are a lot of people who kind of say, "Oh, you know, follow your passion, do whatever you're most interested in," and that's true to an extent. Mm. But like, that's a good point. Of there's so many other factors into choosing what yeah. you're interested like interested in and what's actually going to give you that drive to do the degree or the job that you're 
you're interested in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think you can also develop passions in areas as well. Mm. Like, I've probably gotten more into IT since I've worked in there just because right. as you get into anything, you kind of learn more about it and you kind of generally become more interested in it, I find. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Finally enough, though, now that I'm not working in it in my day job, I'm finding I'm actually in my like, own side time going deeper with certain IT stuff. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's a weird dynamic there, but yeah. um, that's been my life experience. And I've found that's helped me a lot with kind of the uni work and asking for help and to the point where I even emailed one of my lecturers recently asking if I was asking too many questions. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, he was like, that's all good. But <laughs> yeah. That's sort of what I've been with with my um, uh, tutors and, and teachers as well, just like... Because you're interested now. Yeah, you're I know. Really invested. Yeah, <laughs> and and you see, like, you want to talk to the lecturer as like almost a peer in some ways, mm, and yeah. be like, I'm getting excited about what you're getting excited about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Asira, actually, we were just talking off air. Um, you were talking about what it's like to talk to your family and some of the things mm. that come with that. Did you want to, for our audience, tell us a bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think I've come a long way with talking to my family in terms of like. Um, I wouldn't say mental, would you say mental health issue or like, I mean... It's your story, you tell us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess just like internal turmoil, I guess. Yep. Um, you know, when I was younger, it's probably a bit harder to approach um, my parents about it. But I've been very glad to see that they are much more open and much more receptive to me speaking about it. Like when I was in high school, it used to just be like, oh, like, mom, I'm feeling not so good. And they'll just be like, what? Don't say things like that. Like, you're just being negative. But like mm. now, I think as I think as society has also been much more open about it. I'm glad to see that my parents are also open to hearing me sharing these things with them. And I think one of the main things that really helped is that my older sisters are also very much on the same page with I am mm. and that we're very open to having these conversations. We're sort of moving more towards like, it's okay if you want to go seek help and it's okay if you want to talk to me about these things that you don't necessarily feel comfortable about speaking yeah. to people who are in like the older generations. Yeah. So yeah. It's really interesting that you say that because my experience with my family is actually very similar. Mm. I have three older sisters um, and my parents are currently probably like mid 60s right. mid to late 60s um so they come from a very different time period mm -hmm. and when i was going through like high school early uni talking to them about grades or anything like i said before they had a very like strict viewpoint on all of it and i found that talking to my sisters in a similar way was was something that i could do mm. because they were much closer to me in age and perspective as well and i also feel like if you if you're having struggles or your mental health is not the best, then people within your family probably have had similar experiences, mm. yep. whether or not they've told you about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you start talking to sisters about it, because they're the ones that you're closer to and mm. it's a bit easier to talk to them, have you found that they kind of are a bit more receptive and can say, yeah, I've kind of had similar situations? Yeah, I think that that's a really good point because um, my sister and I were nine years apart. So basically, whatever I'm going through, she has already gone through. Mm. And like growing up, I've always seen her as this person that's like very like strong and very like, you know, like go get it kind of person. Mm. And then like now as we've gotten older and that we're talking about it and then you realize like, no, she also has gone through these emotional turmoils that you're also going through. Mm. I think it's also very helpful to know that you're not alone 
Mm. And this person that you're looking up to also feels the same way and goes through the same thing. Mm. And I'm sure like your parents definitely go through it as well. Mm. This is that they probably don't talk about it as much. Yeah. It's definitely a nice point when you can hit that point with your parents where you're talking to them more as equals, I think. Mm. And, you know, I think one thing that's helped that for me is moving out of my parents' place. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is a good point, yeah, the, actually. There's, like, the, the double whammy of, A, because you're not living with them. Um, sorry, my parents are lovely, by the way. I love them, but, <laughs> you know, for me, it's healthier to live on my own. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's the double whammy of, if you do bad at uni or whatever and you think they're going to react badly, you don't have to live in that situation. You know, it could be maybe an uncomfortable conversation you have with them mm. over the phone or when visiting them, but then you can go back home afterwards to your kind of safe space. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you're still living there, then you kind of, you know, you still kind of feel that pressure all the mm. time. Mm. But also, you know, if you're older and hopefully your parents have kind of started treating you more, a bit more of an equal, then <laughs> I find often conversations you have do bring out a lot of those life experiences that you didn't realize. Yes. And they're like, you're like, oh, I'm following like a lot of the same patterns that you did. <laughs> yeah. and like, Why were you giving me crap about that? <laughs> oh, because you didn't want me to do the same thing that you did. I got it. Yeah, <laughs> genuinely, yes, very much. Um, I mean, I can t- speak to myself, but mm. do you have any experiences with that as well? Not like specific details. Um, I'm following a different path than my both of my parents did though a lot of like areas of passion so like my passion for music and stuff definitely comes from my dad mm. um he played in rock bands and stuff mm. around in the 90s and so i grew up around that so while he never oh, decided to kind of keep doing it professionally where i i kind of have you know the actual underlying passion and the things that we get excited about i can have those conversations with mm. yeah which is awesome so yeah yeah that's really interesting um very specifically, when you mentioned that, there's this, uh, there's this one specific thing that I had a conversation with my dad about, and it was um, basically I did nursing, got very close to the end of it, dropped out because mental health and because, you know, you can't deal with, like, pressure responsibility of, of being someone with taking care of other people. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then probably, like, a year or two later, I was having a conversation with my dad and kind of finally actually telling him why I did that, right? And, and the entire process around that. And he, he said that when he left high school, he went and started doing a medicine degree. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and he got, I think it was like about into his second year, a fair chunk into his second year of his yeah. medicine degree and dropped out for very similar oh, reasons. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Completely mind-blown. Like, no idea that he even... Because he went into electronic engineering after yeah. that. Yeah. Like, and that's all I knew that he did. Yeah. But, no. Nah. Well, I guess you found your new calling. <laughs> <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> now, you're doing science now, aren't you, I Steph? am, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah, well, I do... Like, I also find that helpful when you hear those stories and you go, oh, okay, yeah, I'm not the only one. I'm not, mm. like, the, the failure of the whole family kind of thing. So. <laughs> Yeah, that definitely helps knowing that. It's like, okay, <laughs> good that we're all sort of on the same page. Mm. Yeah. But I also just want to get back to the point, um, John, where you were talking about moving out. Yep. I think, as a like, obviously studying abroad and clearly moving so, so far away from your family. Yep. I think talking to them about, like, the challenges that you're going through has also been a lot easier and I think they're much more receptive because I guess they worry for you yeah so they don't they know like there's no one there with you so they don't want to add more of that 
pressure yeah. into it. And you know, you don't know like at least that's what I find with my parents. They're so much more like they're worried, so they're like, okay, maybe like take it slow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as compared to when you were like in primary school and secondary school, when you're at home, they're like, nah, like <laughs> <laughs> come on, you can like get through this. So yeah, yeah I think in a way, moving out kind of does help. But then, like on the other hand, you kind of don't want to talk about it to your parents because you don't want them to worry yeah. about you. So yeah, gets like a two-way street there. Yeah. Do you have any advice for other international students who, you know, have moved over here and maybe aren't so connected to their parents and maybe feel a bit more isolated? Mm-hmm. Um, have you found there's been anything that's helped you kind of have other support networks or anything like that around? I think like um, friends, speaking of friends, is definitely very important. I know it can be very isolating moving abroad and like studying in uni. That definitely is kind of the experience that I've felt so far. But just... I think it's really good if you have a friend who is somewhat going through the same thing as you are and who is also open to talking about these things. Because if you're talking to a friend who is like, because I'm introverted, so it's a bit harder for me to make friends and putting myself out there. And I find that if I talk to extroverts, it's always like, yeah, obviously it's easy for you to go out there and make friends. But like, it's not for me. So if you have another friend who is within that same situation, so much more like reassuring Mm. to know that you guys have each other and also like, you're also kind of doing fine, really. Mm. So, yeah, I think having a proper group of friends is really important. And you don't have to have a group of friends, too. I think, like, just one or two is also yeah. mm. really fine, yeah. Just, like, really good friends. Yeah, just a couple of people you can trust. Mm. Yeah, definitely helps a lot. Um, so, I was told this morning that over on the What Messes With Your Head blog, Asira, you had a blog post that was just published, actually, about this kind of stuff. Did you want to give us a bit of a summary for our audience? Goodness, um, okay what that was about oh okay so the title is this is me trying yep. um which is a title of taylor swift song we love taylor swift <laughs> <laughs> that song speaks so much to me and yep. it was basically um about like trying so hard um and that isolating feeling knowing that you are trying and trying and trying but mm. then realizing that you're still not any better or that you still feel like you could do more Mm. so I guess that pressure into that and yeah I was watching her like a YouTube video of her Long Pond studio session where she like um, discussed about this song with her producer and he said let me quote Jack Antonoff he says he expressed how isolating it must feel to know that you're really trying your best and that even then, it's not good enough, mm. I think, yeah. which kind of goes back to that whole, like, trying to get out of that mindset of from when you were in primary and secondary, that you were this overachieving student, and now things have changed tremendously in university. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, you're being pressured to try and try and try, but then you're still not as good as you were or you had expected yourself to be. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you bring up an interesting point there, which is kind of now going a bit outside of university life, but um, it's a good point of comparison. I've found when you're at university and education, you know, you're working towards these grades. Mm. And then when you're out, do we call it the real world or do we call it (laughs) non-academia? I don't think the real world. What's the the official official term? So um, (laughs) once you're out in the workforce... (laughs) um, you don't work towards grades and you don't get fairly graded. And um, I, speaking as someone who's like started their own small business um, that didn't quite take off and I guess you could call it failed, I put it on the back burner, but 
how hard you work and doing all the right things when it comes to like a marketplace or a like a business you unfortunately don't get those same kind of points of validation mm. that are as clear cut as you do mm. with grades and stuff like that yeah. um, and I, that's been like a really big learning experience for, for me that I'm still kind of working through mm-hmm. um, especially with like music and stuff like that because like everyone's creating music and putting it out there and no one has enough time to listen to all of it yeah. so that doesn't like if I haven't hit the jackpot that doesn't mean that I'm not doing all the right things or most of the right things mm. um, there's just so much that's kind of out of your own control as well mm. and I guess this is one of those other things that kind of connects to uh, our self-perceived failure that we're talking about it's that that whole learning experience of being able to either detach your self-identity from the external feedback you're getting or find ways of kind of reinforcing your own self-esteem despite that or find your own reasons for continuing to do what you do i think that's been one yeah one of the hugest learning experience for me which has now also helped me back at uni as well Mm. um for me personally like i found with both music and at university just my ultimate kind of driving force is kind of exploration and my own interests and like i said developing my craft kind of thing Mm. and so you know it's awesome when i get high grades and stuff like that because that is still validating Mm. um but, you know, it's not, at the end of the day, it's not the ultimate kind of thing. So, yeah. So I thought it was just really interesting, the quote you were talking about there. I think resonated with me very strongly because yeah. of that kind of experience. So. I had to, like, I had to like pause the video for a second and be like, whoa, hang on. Yeah. That was a bit too real. <laughs> Wait. Uh, I, I just need to sit for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Just got to sit here yeah. a little bit. But I think also, like, um, trying to detach yourself from external validation and academic validation from a point of a student, Mm. I think could be a bit challenging when you have continuously studied. Yeah. Right, because I feel like, personally for me, I still feel like I am that kid back in high school who is like desperately like wanting my teachers to be like, oh my God, you're you're so good. You're, um, you know, an A student. Uh, Yeah, so I think having that continuation. Totally. Totally. And that's, and I'm not saying that to invalidate anyone's university experience. Um, and we were discussing this on the other episode as well, is that if that's your life experience, mm-hmm. um, it makes perfect sense. That's kind of how you judge it. Yeah. And that's not necessarily wrong either. I think at the end of the day, it comes back to what your goals are for your degree. You know, like I, I, I said, you know, I care less about grades and stuff, but like personally, I'm actually wanting to eventually go into kind of research and academia again. So like I do need a certain level of good grade mm. and I, I'm aware of that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, I th- yeah, I think you got to work out kind of what your goals are and that helps you work out what your kind of flag posts are of how to measure yeah. your own success and all that kind of thing as well. Mm. I think you'd also definitely need to have that moment of just realizing and it's almost like massive anxiety about like everything that you thought was the most important thing is kind of not actually because I can kind of again really relate to you (laughs) sort of thing because primary school high school I was quite an overachiever Mm. like and it just kind of happened because (laughs) I was just kind of better at that Mm. in primary school and high school and those sorts of contexts and then you get to uni um and I was still pretty good for like the first year And then it kind of dropped off. And dealing with that when you've kind of had this level for so long and you've put so much stock into getting those sorts of grades Mm. (laughs) and then you just get to a point, a chunk into your uni and it's like, well, actually, this isn't working for whatever reason. And it's, it's 
really terrifying. It's really terrifying to yeah. just kind of realize that and mm. have this full like mental shift in like perspective as yeah. well. Yeah. But I think like that's the beauty of maturing is to first realize that you've changed yeah. and that you probably shouldn't, you know, stick to who you are. And like I mean like that's done. Mm. That's a phase in your life that that's done. And this is who you are now and you shouldn't like limit yourself to who you were. Mm. I think yeah, trying to work towards that has definitely been one of the things that I'm trying to do. Mm. I just I don't want to stick to think feeling like oh like my world has ended just because I wasn't yeah. that kid anymore. Like yeah. no, I mean like you're entering a new phase in your life, you know? Yeah. Let's start start anew, start afresh. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Everything will turn out fine. It'll be okay. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So off the back of that do we have any advice for all the students out there who are going into that final stretch and <laughs> going into career? What do you do? Do you ask for help? Do you not ask for help? Do you? I think definitely get like definitely ask for help. <laughs> yeah. I know like it's easy for me to say that now in hindsight, but I know like being in that exact situation where you are right now, where you're sort of like, should I do get help? Should I not? It does get a little bit confusing, but I would say first try to talk to someone who you're comfortable with, whether that be a friend mm. or a family or a teaching staff. I think just talking about it definitely gives you a sense of reassurance and maybe guidance into further help that you need. Because sometimes when you talk about it, you realize like, oh, I'm not the only one who's going through this. This really isn't like the end of the world. Everyone else is feeling the same way too. Yeah. So that might, you know, give you a bit of reassurance. No shame in that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm. My advice would be make sure you read uh, the assignment specs and <laughs> actually do the work that gets you marks. Mm, yeah, true. <laughs> but, yes. um, but I guess on that, because we're talking about, you know, overworking and stuff, um, I know a lot of people accidentally spend a lot of time doing things that don't get them many marks. So if you're going to ask for help, it might be worth asking your tutor where to focus your energies if you've mm. got limited time. Yep, definitely. <laughs> that's one thing that's helped me a lot. If I haven't had enough time to do everything perfectly, then it's like, all right, what what should I prioritize? Mm, that's a good point. And yeah, you just you never know where good advice is going to come from either. Mm. Yeah, it's just humans are super super social and mm. super yeah. connected. So when we kind of like isolate ourselves, because sometimes we naturally do, right? And avoiding conversations with people, especially harder ones, mm. um, honestly, usually doesn't help. It usually makes everything a lot worse. For yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, just talking to literally anyone you're comfortable with. Now, on that note, with all that advice, this is future Steph coming by just to say thank you for listening to What Messes With Your Head. This was produced by myself and John. We are employees of the Wellbeing Hub at the University of Adelaide. All the links to the things that we discussed should be in the show notes on the podcast platform of your choice. If you have any questions at all, you can check out the Wellbeing Hub or reach out to any of the people in the Wellbeing Hub. There'll be links to contact information in the show notes as well. Stay healthy, stay safe, look after yourself, and we'll see you again soon.